Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time podcast presented exclusively on the Chop Sports Network channel of the Premier Streaming Network. We are recording this on Monday, May 1st, 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 May Day, comrades. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. In this episode, Spurs get even more Spursier in their defeat against Liverpool. Manchester United get a name brand win against a good coach. Wow. And there are goals galore everywhere in every match. But first, Erling Holland has 50 goals, a record in England by an English base player not touched since 1987 with Clive Allen. First, Let's get our homework out of the way. Please like, share, subscribe. Like, share, subscribe. We need you. We love you. We want you to be a part of the show. And follow us at Laurent Cortines on YouTube. We're doing lots of uh, reels there about little pieces of the show that you can watch on video. Now, let's get to it. Okay, Erling Holland. I know that I talk about Manchester City a lot. It's my team. I love them. But I think that I have not been actually hyperbolic enough about Erling Holland. Erling Holland has come to England, a league that has historically been difficult on strikers. I just remember Vincent Janssen disappearing. I remember um, uh, numerous strikers from Spurs disappearing. Uh, Lukaku famously couldn't handle it when he went to United, but he was okay at other places. And so you get the sense that, you know, a big name striker coming from Germany, where it's the highest scoring goal league in the world. And you're just like, well, can he do it on a rainy day in Stoke with this different league and this different style? And boy, can he fucking do it. Uh, if you remember way back when, way back when, the Community Shield and um, Darwin Nunez scored versus um, City. And we thought maybe Darwin Nunez would be, with, be right with them. And it has not been close. Erling Holland has set the record for goals in the Premier League, set at 34 by both uh, Andy Cole and Alan Shearer way, way back in 92 uh, and 93 when the Premier League had 42 games. He has beaten that record in 10 less games. So he's on, he's only played 30 games, one off the bench, and he has 34 goals. The closest, I think, was probably uh, Luis Suarez, 13-14. He missed about eight or nine games because of the bite. And he had 31, much more dynamic, I think, Luis Suarez than Erling Holland. Erling Holland is just a battering ram and a finisher that City has missed all this time since Aguero was at his best. But he's far, far, far more aggressive than Aguero was. He's hungrier to score goals than Aguero was. Aguero seemed to be having fun and just being like, yeah, he scored goals. Isn't this great? But Erling Holland is just angry and just wants to score more. He doesn't want to come off the pitch. He just wants more and more and more and more. And I just think that we are not really capturing what a big deal this is. Um, he's now on 50 in all competitions. So we have the Premier League, a record since 1994. So that's 40 years ago, almost 38, 39 years ago. So that's a long time. Many great players. Ronaldo, Rooney, Tevez, Berbatov, Van Nistelrooy, all amazing, amazing strikers. All those strikers that have come through the league, Robbie Keane, Defoe, Thierry Henry, just tons and tons of great strikers. Uh, 
Ian Wright, you know, these are all great players in their own right. Phillips, uh, who could forget Calvin Phillips and his uh, long ball with Sunderland. Uh, he got broke the league's brain when he scored 30 goals, winning the European Golden Boot. But now Holland has come and he just is inevitable. He's scoring on once one in every 20 touches, which is insane. And all these things that are just happening at speed and without understanding at all. But I want to get further down into breaking these goals down. So, so he's got the 34 goals, 12 in the Champions League, one in the EFL Cup, three in the FA Cup, and 34 in the league. Um, the number that's been brought up is by a forgotten player of Clive Allen, who played for Spurs um, in 19 in the mid in the late 80s. Um and Clive Allen had 49 goals that season, 33 in the League, 12 in the League Cup. I don't know how the hell he got 12 in the League Cup. This is the 86-87 season for Spurs. They lost in the FA Cup, but he scored 49, and that's a number you'll hear about, uh, forgotten player. The league record for England is by Dixie Dean in the 1927-28 season, 60 goals, same season that Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs, kind of uh, symbiotic between goals and home runs. Two things that, well, there's probably way more home runs, but they are weirdly aligned in terms of the numbers, like a 30 home run season, a 20 goal season, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but it is interesting. I just think that Holland is next in line for the great players in football. Um, we're, we're ending the Ronaldo Messi era. We already see Ronaldo's off in Saudi Arabia. Messi is now sort of in the decline phase. He's won his world cup. Uh, he's left the club. He started out of Barcelona. And I think we're in this new phase it's going to be Mbappe, but I don't think, I think if we're in our heart of hearts, we know that ultimately Mbappe being in PSG leaves us a little bit cold about what records he has there. Um, Neymar never could wear the crown. He's been in decline for five years. His holding onto the ball and getting fouled and getting fouled and getting injured because he wants to show people up. That kicking has diminished his skills, uh, and the late night partying from Neymar has definitely diminished his skills. Uh, Lewandowski is in the conversation, but he's now in his later 30s, and I think the pandemic really hurt him uh, because his two best seasons, his 50 goal seasons in the in the Bundesliga, they kind of are been steady. And I don't I don't begrudge Lewandowski. He's now at Barcelona, and they're having a great season. But I think he's been somewhat forgotten because he's very he's just sort of doesn't have the dynamism and the personality on the pitch that that Erling has and so we have this new force for good and it's really one of the first times that city has one of those stars it's really one of the first times that the premier league has a world star in their prime very often the premier league is where stars come up and then they end up in Real Madrid and Barcelona to become the world stars um, because of the, I think one of the things that happens with the decline of United and their sort of place among that group of teams and the sort of diffusion of, of the premier league's best teams. It's, it's Chelsea for a while. It's city for a while. It has been city for a while now. Uh, Chelsea United Arsenal and it's diffused. Our stars are diffused and we create those stars, but the world star, that number one, that, that person that drives the conversation and connects people to the premier league of like the best player in the world who scores the most goals 
plays in the Premier League for Manchester City, who are the best team, who are, are in the finals of the Champions League. So all those things converging have really lifted the profile of Holling that I don't even know that we're using enough hyperbole. He's in there. He is in that group. That last game that he had against Arsenal was just a masterclass. And I think it's indicative of how he's improved. He's changed from earlier in the season. That game was all his skills were on, on display and he can improve. And I think that's the thing that's more interesting about him. He can start to move the ball around and drop deep and be more involved with the buildup play that City likes to do. Um, and I think it's another indicative about Holland is when you take the way Manchester City play, and City have been playing well and scoring goals and doing this sort of diversive kind of style. But then you put a kind of terminator, an eraser of mistakes in at, at the top of the goals. It makes City so much better because City were always creating chances all this time, but we're kind of like just in line with their XG. And I, and I know we don't like to talk about this stuff, but just for instance, City would have like, an XG or, or a created goals opportunity of like, you know, 85 and then score 90 goals. But now City's XG is not that good, but Holland is scoring goals extra. You can just punt it to him, just get it near him. And he scores goals that steady you to have to be more intricate. It was that cross ball to Raheem Sterling at the back post. He's erasing that. He's a superstar. He's a megastar. He's a bright shining light. That city, he's city's player. He's in the Premier League and he is something else. And I think that I haven't done enough of saying how incredible it is. And hopefully this landmark of 50 goals by one player. Only Messi has scored 50 goals in a full season. I don't think anyone else has done it in a long time. Ronaldo and Messi made it weird and normal, but scoring 50 goals is absurd. Nobody scores 50 goals. Um, uh, Lewandowski scored 40, I think, or 45, or broke the record in the Bundesliga a couple of years ago. But, you know, there's been some 50s, but these numbers are crazy. Uh, but just to keep in mind, Messi did have a season where he scored 90. Uh, and that's not getting close. No one's ever near that. But anyway, I just wanted to cover that and make sure that we were aware of the just pure power of Holland uh, and what it means. Let's go to the scores now uh, and start with Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur. What a ridiculous, bonkers freaking game that was. Seven goals in all. But the first 15 minutes, you thought that Tottenham were going to get annihilated again. They gave up, just like at Newcastle. Newcastle, last time, they gave up four in 20 minutes. This time, they gave up three in 15. So they're getting better. They're getting better. But that was it. Curtis Jones, Luis Diaz, and an amazing one. And then a penalty uh, that Mohamed Salah put through. and. Um, just a crazy game. You know, we saw the Trent Alexander-Arnold thing where he's inside, but there was nothing from Spurs. Spurs were dead. Spurs were gone. This 15, 20 minutes, this half was a complete and total annihilation and destruction of Spurs. They were dead. They were nowhere. They were lost. Their souls were crushed. Their hearts were gone. Nothing was there. And they, for the first 40 minutes, had nothing. And then... Of course, the magic, the power, the majesty that is Liverpool's defense allows um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, now not at right back, to just be gone. There is no one there. And so um, Perisic gets free. 
takes on takes on Van Dyke, totally embarrasses him. He falls over. It's a meme now. Crosses it into Harry Kane. He puts it in on the volley as only Harry Kane can do. God, what a fucking finisher he is. And so at that point, Spurs are in this game. So they're 3-1. They're like, holy shit, we fucking survived. And as Spurs' season has been, second half, there's something else again. They capitalize on the malaise of of Liverpool. They capitalize on the weakness of Liverpool's defense. They capitalize on the weakness of Liverpool's midfield. They're unable to control games now. Unable to control games. This is Liverpool's problem all season. They cannot control games. Yeah, they can score goals. They can go forward, but there's no one in the midfield to slow this thing down, take this thing out of it, take it down, take it down, take it down. So here we are. Spurs get another goal on 77, a really nice one from our friend uh, Hien Min Sun. It's 3-2. Then, as Spurs are fighting, pushing in the second half, Richarlison, of all the fucking knobheads and dickheads in the world, I like Richarlison. He scores a flicked header into the ground. It goes past Allison on a set piece, um, on a dead ball that Harry Kane was fouled on because... Why not foul Harry Kane on a 93rd minute uh, on the edge of the box? Because that's what Harry Kane does. He creates shit. Uh, what a great player is. Uh, Sun crosses it, and Richarlison definitely gets a touch on it, bangs it home, off the floor, goes over Allison, cue the scenes, Spurs come back from the dead. It's 3-3. They're over the moon. Where is football go from here as um, – Peter Drury likes to say, but I'll tell you where football goes from here. It goes right into the cop, sucking balls into the goal. Allison, long, long kick right onto, um, right through to the defense. It's passed back to, to Mora, Lucas Mora, playing right wing back inexplicably in the final minutes, makes a back pass right to Diego Jota, who slots at home and cute field scenes. Anfield goes wild and <laughs> and Spurs just spurs it up. I mean, this is like, I don't know what it is about Spurs. I don't know how it happens, but it goes back to my things with institutions again. What is it about an institution? Is it about the fact that we have the narrative in our head about a club like Spurs making mistakes or being weak or losing games or whatever, and we don't notice the ones that are not in the Spurs narrative. And then when there is a Spurs event like this one, oh, there's Spursy again. Is it, is it the number, like wh which finals did they lose that make them Spursy? Which moments were they there that they got games pulled away from them? I can't really, def I can't, I don't really know the games that are Spursy. Uh, I just think that Spursy is something when you're, you have your rivals in Arsenal picking a term, you have the famous narrative of, of Alex Ferguson saying, oh, hey, boys, it's Spurs. Like, that that does do damage to the narrative, but I'd really love for someone who's super analytical to sort of make a Spursy rule and decide what the actual criteria for Spursy are. Um, Stevie Nichol on the ESPN FC show sort of doesn't get it. He says Spursy is the fact that they're completely unpredictable. So, like, he's like, they're Spursy. They'll win this game. I see it as a negative. <laughs> it's not that they won't, that they'll win when you don't expect it or lose when you don't expect it. It's that they'll always fuck it up, even when it doesn't look like they will. So that's how I've used Spursy. I've used Spursy as this result. 
you come back to tie in a game where you were fucking dead. And here you are on a stupid mistake. And I mean, stupid. Um, just throwing the ball back, having Lucas Moore on, playing wing back, because why not? And Spurs drop the points and really effectively kill their chance at a top four uh, and give life to Liverpool's top four. Now, I don't think Liverpool are going to make the top four, but they're getting pretty close to being locked on for a European place. This reminds me of of the Van Dyke season uh, where Liverpool had a hard time after they won the title uh, and sort of made a charge. The Allison at the death, getting them into the Champions League. They won like six in a row to get in. Liverpool sitting on 53 with a game extra game played on United sitting on 56, you know, there there's seven points behind uh, United. I can't see United dropping three games and Liverpool going undefeated. Uh, that would be a fucking epic collapse, but they do now uh, they've pulled ahead of Aston Villa and Tottenham who both sit on 54 um, and have just sort of solidified that fifth spot. So it looks like Anfield will see their European nights that they will be Europa League nights at this point. And so the damaging season that that Liverpool have does get a modicum of like, this was the worst season we've had in five years, but we're 16, eight and nine with a plus 23 goal difference. So they're not that far away. Uh, yes, they are 20 points behind City, but you know we've seen 20 point gaps get made up by some goal luck, two good players, a center back and a midfielder, and they're off. So uh, rumors of Liverpool's demise are greatly exaggerated. They'll come back. They'll come back into it. Uh, for Spurs, they need a coach and they probably need a striker and they need a whole new defense. If Eric Dyer ever plays for Spurs again, it'll be too soon. They've got to pack him up, send him home and be like, dude, you're done. He's not a Premier League central defender. Again, like I said earlier, uh, I mentioned this about uh, in the last episode around um around Chelsea's scoring being bottom five scoring in the league. Spurs are a bottom five defense in the Premier League. Are you ready for this? Spurs are the sixth worst defense in the league. Leeds have given up 67, Bournemouth 64, Nottingham Forest 62, Southampton 60, Leicester 59, Tottenham 57, and Everton on 52. Essentially, Tottenham Hotspur have a relegation-level defense. So that means that's a championship-level defense. So they need a new goalkeeper. They need at least two different center backs. Like I said, Aldevarel didn't work on through that door. Jan Vertagen ain't working through that door. Kyle Walker ain't walking through that door. Kieran Trippier ain't walking through that door. They need an entirely new defense. And that would be on the Christmas list for Tottenham Hotspur uh, for them. But we move on. Uh, I do want to get into, I talked about Erling Holland. I do want to talk about the Fulham game that City won. An incredible gut-checking performance. I know everyone's like, oh, easy game, blah, blah, blah. The game against Fulham was not easy. City had a hard time breaking down Fulham. Fulham are a tough team. They have... Jao Paulinha, they still have a good defense. Uh, Vinicius did pull one back. Erling Holland got a penalty on three. Julian Alvarez's goal on 36 was absolutely fantastic. But it was 1-1 in the first half. Vinicius got a goal just out of nowhere on the break. No problem. Uh, City did not play De Bruyne. A little bit of a different side. 
but you know, replace De Bruyne with Julian Alvarez, no problem. Riyad Mahrez comes in. Uh, you know, guys get guys get time. Silva comes in, Foden comes in, just ho hum regular stuff. But it was a tougher game than you'd expect. And I think the good thing is, is that City were aware. They didn't give up much. It was a strong performance, but it was tough. It was a defensive performance. It was a, this isn't going to be easy, but we're going to win it performance. Uh, Holland worked hard. Again, um, Leno made tons and tons of saves, seven saves in all out of eight shots. So he was Fulham's man of the match, um, but it wasn't easy. Like I don't, I've come to understand over the years of watching football of how easy it looks when your team is in form and working. The passes you make are crisp. The shots go into the top corner. The players on the ball who are deep, they see the runs and everything just seems to move fluidly and work. But it's very precise and it can go very quickly. Ask Liverpool. Everything that worked all of a sudden doesn't work. Those passes that were there all of a sudden aren't there. That half a yard that used to you used to win the ball back is a half a yard short and you end up fouling someone. And that free kick becomes a goal because your keeper can't come for it because the blockers aren't in front of where they should be. It's all precise. City look great because they work hard at it. They push each other. They have a player at every position to push. And so City beating Fulham away from home was not a foregone conclusion after the midweek game against Arsenal. Very tough, emotional game, but City go in there and get the job done. Amazing work. I'm very proud of City in that result. And they do, finally, and this is the big step. They're now top of the league by one point. (laughs) Uh, Arsenal's reign, 250 days atop the Premier League. This is now City's fourth day atop of the league. They play their game in hand next week against uh, West Ham. Or later this, is it this week? It might be Wednesday, in fact. Yes, they do play West Ham uh, midweek uh, on Wednesday. And that will be their game in hand. And now I'll be caught up to Arsenal at that point. Um, but Arsenal will have played Tuesday. So we're starting to get into that game in hand being picked up. But City finally top of the league. They're, they're you know, when I looked back and sort of saw, oh, they have four draws and four losses. That was when they had 14 wins. And they still haven't lost. So they're still just running and destroying people peaking at the right time city just feeling edible at this point they're top of the league they're on track for the treble that shit's real so city are now coming and moving but they put in the work this is not a weak bullshit champion this is the real deal and it is time for them to go on Um, speaking of teams that are going on it looks like the top four is secure for the great and powerful Noisy neighbor. Is it noisy neighbor? The quiet neighbor? The old neighbor? The aristocratic neighbor? Manchester United won. Aston Villa nil. Um, They get it done against a name brand opponent. Uh, Again, United have to grind. They're not that good. And I do give a lot of credit to Ten Hag. It's underhanded. I might be uh, insulting them, but this team's underlying numbers are not good. They can't control games for halves. They can control for periods. They score goals in moments. They're reliant on Rashford making great shots. In this case, Bruno Fernandez got on the end of, of, of a shot that um that Ramsey made. It was deflected, and, and uh, Fernandez put it in, and they get that first half goal. They're much better in the first half, usually, or in the second half. And then um, Villa did 
come on to this game. Now their XG doesn't show that, but I think uh, Lindelof took a shot off the line. There were a couple of scrambles in front of goal. Again, De Gea and the defense hang in. They're injured. United played three fullbacks, no center backs, just Lindelof, who's the size of a fullback and probably would be a fullback in another time. So really it's, it's, it's Malasia, it's Malasia, Shaw, Lindelof, and Dallow. That's their defense. Crazy time. Uh, against a well-drilled Unai Emery. And, you know, Villa do play the way they play. This was a good game. And I think a good result that 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 United can hold on to and go, all right, we grinded this one out. And that's been a lot of their games. It's not been a fluid performance and Ten Hag wants to get there, but, but United can't control games yet. Um, they do have to fight for every single game and they do rely on moments and De Gea and everybody sort of getting it done. Now, De Gea only had to make one save. That's because one was cleared off the line. So that counts as a shot on target, but not a save. So incredible stuff there for uh, Villa. And Villa just, you know, this is their first game that they've been shut out under Emery. Uh, they're, they're, they're still banging on the door of European places. They'll likely get something, but they had been overperforming as well. So these two teams, both on the way up, both with good coaches, but both doing it in different ways. Uh, you know, uh, Ten Hag, more possession-based, more Dutch style. And I think Emery, we would admit, is a much more pragmatic, benitez kind of realm of maniacal, not giving pats on the back, but giving you every bit of information you need to win a game and making sure his players are in the right places and the details needed to win games and get things over the line. So Villa don't get their win, but they do hold their heads high in a good performance and a game of full of fight, full of vigor, and full of guys really giving it their all to try and win the game. So a good stuff from United. I think, you know, John, John Santana, my resident sad friend who I love more than anything in the whole world, he um he gets sad at the United games and some of the games that have been blown, some of the blowouts that have happened. But these are the games you've got to hang your hat on. Tough home game against Villa against a good coach where really the sides are probably more equal than you'd want to admit. And they go get the goal and see the game out, even though it's tougher than you want it to be. So really, really good result for United. And I give them credit. You know, I've been giving them credit all season as much as I don't like them. They are tough. They have been beat by better sides around them, but they don't take those defeats down. They're like, okay, we lost this game. We've got to go beat the teams that we can beat and get the points we need. So they solidify themselves, like I said, in the top four race. They're on 63, and then we go um, and see where we are in the relegation battle in the top four race. Newcastle defeating Southampton. Them also taking a step forward into that Champions League place. They go down a goal to ask to uh, Southampton. Again, I like Ruben Sellis. I got something from uh, the two Robbies that were like, oh, they don't like him. He's not a real manager. I think he's been good. Uh, and Southampton have not given up in games. They're just not good enough. And Southampton do get the goal from Stuart Armstrong, but then Callum Wilson, uh, an own goal from Theo Walthock, and then Wilson again on 81 at home. Newcastle at this point are inevitable. Their XG is 4.3. They really batter Southampton. Uh, and as much as... I shit on Southampton. They're just not good enough to hang with the power, pace, and intensity of Newcastle. That is the buzzword of Newcastle. This is an intense team. If you come and you're not ready, 
you will get run over because Willock, Gulamoresh, Joe Linton, they will run you off the park and they will press you into death. And then that defensive group of Byrne and Botman will head everything away with the ball players of Cher and Trippier. Trippier really plays as a wing back in this weird uh, um, uneven three back with the with that with, with Trippier actually leading the league in a shot creation across the Premier League in a league with Kevin De Bruyne. He's in the top five in shot creation from right fullback. So he's basically a winger. He's basically Trent Alexander-Arnold without being shit at defense. Don't tell Liverpool fans that, but he's as good. Uh, just a veteran, learned his trade under Simeone, just love Kieran Trippier. A player that spurs maybe you don't let him go, you fucking morons. Anyway, Kieran Trippier, incredible player, incredible season. There's going to be European nights at St. James's Park. Just if you want to be ready for something amazing, get ready for that. <laughs> I think a European team is going to go to St. James's Park on one of those Tuesdays or Wednesdays and go, oh, fuck, I was not ready for this. Nighttime, cold, wet, St. James's Park, rocking the Geordies, drunk, Alan Shearer taking his shirt off in the Gallagate end. It's going to be something else. I uh, can't wait for it. Uh, they're going to have to improve their squad a lot, but um, I really like what I see. And then I think this result does two things. Solidifies Newcastle at the top end and really puts Southampton. They're done. They are going down. Uh, we say goodbye after Southampton after, I believe, I want to say 10 years uh, in the Premier League. I want to just check that. Because I want to be right and not wrong. They've gone down before, but yeah, they have been in the Premier League since 2012-13. So 10 years. Uh, the Lambert team with Lalana uh, and Jay Rodriguez bringing them up. Ricky Lambert, the legend, spending four. They were in League One as recent as 2010. So it has been an amazing, amazing ride within those years under uh, Kuman and Pochettino. They get Europa League. In 15 and 16, the Graziano Pella, Sadio Mane season. And then that's really their peak. And they begin to slide downwards after the Mane steal by Liverpool and Van Dyke leaves. And the team goes from minus seven, minus 19, minus 20, and essentially just start spending the back end of their seasons in the relegation zone. And what happens with relegation zone is it's sort of a drain. You can get out once, you can get out twice. When you start getting into, I'm going to get out of the relegation zone the third time, you start to get into trouble. And once Ings left the team, you knew they were in trouble. No goal scoring, no party. Got to be able to score goals to get out of the relegation zone. And it looks like Southampton's race has finally been run. We will say goodbye to them pretty, pretty soon. And it's pretty, pretty sad. Uh, but again, Newcastle, the player to watch. Keep an eye on my friend, Mr. Isaac. That guy is a world-class player. He's already, you know, he's already a Champions League player. And now he really is a Champions League player. So we're going to see more of him. And as long as he stays healthy, uh, we'll see more of that. Other friends in the South Coast who are now safe, mighty, Bournemouth, defeats, leads, 4-1. Javi Gracia has lost the plot with Leeds. They have now set the record for goals against in a month, April. Leeds, just complete and utter collapse. 
Gary O'Neill and the Cherries of Bournemouth are going to be a Premier League team. I had them nailed on for going down, but they said, not so fast, my friend, and the great and powerful Bournemouth are going to be with us next season. Jefferson Lerma scores two. Dominic Solanke gets on the scoreboard. And then Antonio Semino does get one in the 90th minute. Patrick Banford gets one on 32 to show a little fight for Leeds. But Leeds are just fucking awful. Their heads are down. They can't control games. Their games are still bananas. They're still dealing with injuries. And nothing is happening that's good for this team. They're just shipping goals every day, twice a week. And on the other side, you have a team that has a controlling midfield with um, with Billing and Lerma. And this week they had Rodwell in there. And then Solanke connects it all. And they've got power on the wings from Dango Quattro, uh, Awatra. And they just push really, really hard. And it's been a joy to watch because this team is freaking good. You go to Bournemouth and you don't show up. They will punch you in the mouth. And if you're leads and you can't stop anything or control anything, you are going to lose. And that's what happened to uh, Leeds. This was a game that Leeds absolutely had to have if they want to stay in this league. And it doesn't look like they are going to. I do want to go through Leeds' last few games. You ready? Leeds. They have, since their last win, they beat Nottingham Forest. Um, April 4th, five goals to Palace, six to Liverpool, two to Fulham. They got that draw against Leicester and then four more to Bournemouth. It has been a brutal, brutal month. They shipped four to Arsenal, one to Forest, five. Just so, so bad. Just a complete and utter disaster. Do they pull Melier? I think at this point, what's the point? I mean, he's just shell-shocked. He's got an under 60% save percentage. Now, could that be the quality of the shots he faces? Sure, but he is now a minus 12 on post-shot expected goals. That's just, you cannot win with a goalkeeper who's minus 12. So what that means is um, post-shot expected goals minus goals allowed. Um, A positive number suggests better luck or above average ability to stop saves to stop shots. So he's an average goalkeeper would be at zero. So that's 12 goals that he's given up that a normal average keeper would not have given up. Now, teams that go down have this problem. Uh, On the higher end, you look at uh, Allison is plus 10, plus 12 on this side. So Liverpool fans know this. Allison is also the best one-on-one keeper in the world. He saves their ass all the fucking time, and they know it. I used to, Manny gets mad at me when I say, fucking Liverpool is so lucky. Well, they're lucky because the luck comes in the form of having the best goalkeeper in the world. And so uh, he may not be as good a passer as Allison, but he's by short, by far the best goal stopper, and he does add the most to his team's bottom line in Allison. This season, Melier is the worst keeper in the league, passing Bazuno, who Bazuno mercifully was actually put out of his misery and benched. Uh, Alex MacArthur came in for him. And then the uh, the Americans on this Leeds team are not really adding anything. I think McKinney's been found out. Aronson has been all action, but no end result. Too young, not ready. And it looks like to me, Leeds are in trouble. I don't think the Javi Garcia appointment in when you look back in retrospect is going to have been a positive one. So 
it just looked like leads are going to go down and we'll get into what I think on the relegation zone after we get through a couple more games. But Bournemouth, safe. Gary O'Neill, Gary O'Neill, Gary O'Neill. Uh, then, of course, the great and powerful Brighton under Deserby. They light up wolves like a fucking Christmas tree. They set the dogs on fire. Six nil. They just absolutely destroy them. Uh, and CISO is just killer. They've just found another one. They're going to sell MacArthur. They're going to sell McAllister. And CISO's going to play. They're going to find, they're going to use Billy Gilmore in Caicedo's uh, place. And they are just going to tick right on over. They'll try and hold on to one. Maybe it'll be Matoma. I find that the Asian players are less likely to be aggressive to move. And that's just Sun. That's just Jinsey Park. That's just, you know, just a handful. It's just not in their personality or culturally. I don't know if what it is, but that's just my observe observation about the Asian players. They tend to stay where they are, but um, freaking Brighton were just incredible in that game. And they just lit up the tree with, um, with all their goals. Danny Welbeck scoring a brace. Danny Welbeck, a man who could not finish if he was in a brothel in fucking Bangkok. This guy is banging in goals for fun. It's just unreal, the stuff that the Zerbi gets out of these players. Um, just a fantastic, fantastically coached team. It's Undav, Pascal Gross with two, Danny Welbeck with two, and then Undav to finish it off. They score six goals in an hour, and then Wolves just kind of like, okay, 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 not in the face not in the face and CISO with a pair of assists uh a, a hat trick of assist no no that's not a hat trick that he was subbed off but in CISO with a pair of assists it just all was in the first half all with power all with precision all with joy Brighton the best team not in the top six by far who they can hold on to I don't know uh but I have a feeling they're gonna reload with Gilmore and in CISO um I don't think I can't see Webster and Dunk moving on. They're both a little bit older, but actually those are two are the steel that hold this thing together. I'm not sure if Estupinian will move on, but I'm sure they have guys set up to reload. And I think the key thing they hold on, they want to hold on to is I want to hope that Deserby will want to stay. Maybe he'll give him another year before he moves on. They should hold fast. Tony Bloom should be like, hey, buddy, you haven't even been here a year. Stay for the next year, see where you get to, then we'll let you go. Uh, amazing stuff. Uh, Lopetegui was gutted after this. Wolverhampton Wanderers are just fine. Uh, they still have the problem of being unable to score, but uh, I think Lopetegui, they're on 10 wins. They're absolutely safe. They've got no problem. This is more about a celebration of the power and amazingness of Brighton. Uh, Speaking of the other end of the relegation zone of joy from Brighton and amazingness, the sadness that was Brentford versus Nottingham Forest. Ugh. We all watched with you, Christian. We all felt it. We were all with you, man. <laughs> it was so sad. It was so sad. Uh, we all want Forest to stay up because I think we all recognize in Forest a team that is working hard. Uh, they're giving it their all. They have a plan. They're doing what they can, giving the, the skill set that they have. 
and they're just unable to hold on to this game. They gave their, their all. They're up 2-1. Some of the subs go weird. Um, Danilo gets hurt, so they're effectively down to 10 in the final 10 minutes, and Brentford score two <laughs> to take the draw away. Oh, the draw would have meant so much. Uh, but uh, it's really – and then it's just some bad plays like Kuyate letting Tony's shot through the wall go through. He jumped. I think he thought it was going to curve, so he tried to jump out of the way, and then Tony went through the wall. And poor Taylor Navas and his octopus arms could not get down to stop the shot. So Brentford get the win. You know this about Brentford. They go the full 90 minutes. They're going to set piece you. They're going to long throw in you. They're going to punch you. They're going to go on the break. They're going to make it fucking horrible for you. And Brentford did that. And Nottingham Forest matched them for most of the game. They get their goal early, but they're unable to see it out. Classic scored too soon for the great and powerful trees of of Bournemouth and it's of 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 Nottingham Forest and it's just so sad because you could see it it was there they had it in their sights and I remember watching it and my heart sunk and I'm not even a Forest fan so I can't imagine what it felt like to have that game just ripped away from you uh just hurtful hurtful stuff they get the goal on 45 just as they're going into the break, must have been a great halftime uh, in the room with Cooper. He must have been like, we got this, we're good. Tony on 82 on the wall kick, and then De Silva near post on 94 to break the hearts of <laughs> of Forrest. Just the two-time European champs cannot get a break. And where the fuck is Iwonyi? I thought he would score goals. Andre Ayu, they dusted his ass off. Danilo is now probably hurt. It looked like he had a really bad hamstring or something like that. Uh, and then our guy, um, Czech Kuyate, who'd come on for Brendan Johnson as a defensive holder, because Brendan Johnson, as usual, ran through the fucking world to try and get a win, and he just yaks it. Uh, even some blame put on Kaylor Navas. I mean, the guy made six saves. Come on. He he saved some shit. So he was plus one expected goals against. So he even saved two goals that probably would have gone in, but they just can't get it done. And uh, the poor, sad, tricky trees just didn't really create much. They're just sort of hanging on in the end. And this is the nature of being in a relegation zone, man. But I do take heart. The team does fight for Cooper. And I think we all want to believe that Forrest have it in them. They've got five games They've got to get like six points. <laughs> uh, it's going to be tough, very tough. But uh, I think we're all behind them and we all want them to do better. But it's just going to be a very difficult game. And then if you want more goals, here's one for you. Uh, Crystal Palace, four, West Ham, three. West Ham were terrible, but scored three goals all on set pieces. Uh, they were never within, they were only within one goal at the end there. Uh, Palace just scored. At will, my guy as a just a fucking legend, Zaha with a goal as well. Um, just so much good stuff from Roy's boys. He's got the fountain of youth, he's got them going. Do they just bring him back? Should Roy Hodgson at 75 years old be <laughs> the coach of Crystal Palace? Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, I think one of the things with the with the with his previous team was it was old and he would play them. And, but all those older players who were in that defensive struggle with him are all gone. So now he's got all these young players 
and will Roy Hodgson just play like this because the nature of the players he has, he may just be like, Oh, okay, let's just play them. Uh, one thing, the controversy, the fourth goal that as it got, was a penalty. It was not a penalty. Uh, Nayef Gerd, it looks like he trips up his feet, but he never touches him. Why VAR doesn't intervene. I don't know. I'm glad fuck VAR. They made the call. They made the call, but it wasn't a penalty, <laughs> but that's the goal that ended up being the winning goal. Uh, Ayu, Zaha, Schlup, and Ize, as they do score the goals. Um, it's been made a big difference to have Zaha and Alise and Eze all in the side at the same time. Just gives the team so much juice. And I love, uh, I love, you know, I love the defense with Gehi and Anderson. They're not deep. Uh, but they have good players. And I, Sam Johnson coming in for Goeta, if you remember him from West Brom, he was really, really good when they almost stayed up under Allardyce two years ago. He's a good player, good backup. I'm sure Goeta is probably hurt, but I really like they have a good backup. So uh, interesting stuff there. And then, you know, West Ham did go up early, then two goals from um, from Palace. They were up 3-1, Antonio on a set piece as well. And then at last goal from a Garrett on 73 to make it 4-3. But, you know, that was the last chance that um, that um, that West Ham had. And they're not quite safe yet. Um, I was listening to the World Soccer Talk podcast with Chris, with, with Chris Harris and Carter Krishnire. They seem to think that West Ham's in trouble. I don't think they're in trouble. They're not in trouble at all. They have a great XG they are playing well. They get they sorry, they didn't play well in this game, but they have enough to get them over the line. They're one win away. I mean, there's just no way that that West Ham are going down. There's no way that Moyes will go down. He'll grind out three draws before he fucking blows it. West Ham are so safe. Uh yes, they're 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 the best team of the bad teams. They're on minus 10 goal difference, which says to me, this is not a bad team. They've been finding ways to lose. But really, you know, they should be well ahead of all the other team. For them, it's it's their XG is just off the is just off their game. So uh, Bowen, we went through earlier, is is three under. Um, Rama is two under. Um, Paqueta, yeah, those are the three that really damage their XG. But otherwise, you know, they're just not scoring the goals you'd expect, and they really have not gotten much out of some players that you'd expect of them like i thought you know you'd get more from maxwell cornet and Fornals has been out most of the season i just maybe at this point the the moyes scene has gone and maybe it's time to try again maybe try and go to that next level coach maybe it's a, a landing place for potter i think this team with potter could be interesting uh there's good enough talent here we know that declan rice will probably go we know that suchek will go there's some older players that need to go like cresswell's 33 now they got to move those guys up. Sioux Fall was good when he came in, but that was three years ago. And Moyes has run them all into the ground. So they're getting a lot of miles on the legs of West Ham, but they'll be safe. There's no way they're going down. None, zero, not a chance. Nunca, never, never. Then. The Monday night game, 2-2, Leicester and Everton. God, Everton. Watching Roger Bennett do his Instagram stuff about the real feelings of an Evertonian. Now, whether it's staged or he's yelling or not, that shit's real. Um, they went away. They went up a goal on a penalty 
by Calvert-Lewin. Then Soyuncu gets one back. Vardy puts them ahead on a, on a classic Vardy from Madison. Then it will be on the half volley. Just an amazing goal. It seemed to be in the air forever. He hammers it home. It will be the best worst player I've ever seen. Um, and of course, it's that 2-2. Two, two. This game was so good. Look at the XG for both is 3.4, 3.3. That's almost seven goals of real action. So up and down, shots galore. Um, James Madison missed a penalty late in the first half. Uh, Pickford had it on his little uh, schematic on his on his water bottle. It said, James Madison stays in the middle 60% of the time. And what does he do? He doesn't move. <laughs> so uh, Pickford does save the Madison penalty. And it's amazing stuff there. Just a great, great, great game. Uh, enjoyable. We're all pulling for Everton. Nobody wants Everton to go down. But nobody wants Leicester to go down either. So it's tough. Both these teams are probably too good to go down. Definitely Leicester's too good to go down. And then uh, Everton's promise, they just can't score. They just can't score. It's fucking brutal. Uh, I'm assuming Onana's hurt. So Decore and Gay are in there with Garner, 22 years old. I don't know what he's doing in there. Uh, sadly, the great and powerful Seamus Coleman goes off in a stretcher. Looks like the end is near for him. 34 years old, 12 years at the club. He was there in the early days of Moyes. He was there with Leighton Baines when they would just cross to each other. I mean, and then he survived a complete leg break, came back. He's been the captain, always stands up for the team. Seamus Coleman, just a pure Everton legend. Uh, he'll go down with Tony Hibbert as the great fullback in their, <laughs> in their history. Just love him. Just love him. But this is my time to say, dear Sean Dyche, let's look in the camera. Never play Michael Kane at fullback. Michael Keane at fullback again. Oh, Michael Kane. Michael Keane is terrible. He gave away a penalty on a handball. He seems to do something that fucks up every week. And every time something goes wrong, it's Keane's fault. Please, for all Evertonians' sake, stop playing him. Please. Jerry Mina's on the bench. Play Jerry Mina. Play Connor Cody. They're both on the bench. Play a three with Mina and Cody. Do anything that's not Michael Keane. I know he played for you at Burnley. I know you trust him. He's fucking awful. Okay? Just stop. Onana wasn't even hurt. Why isn't he playing? You need to score goals. Where's Damari Gray? What are you doing? Why isn't... Well, I don't understand what he's trying to do uh, sometimes. He's a little bit old school Daesh. Uh, I know he likes Decore, but Decore's a runner. He's not necessarily an attacker. Uh, it was a Wobie and McNeil with um, Calvert-Lewin. I don't know, man. They're, they're still fighting. They're still pushing. But uh, Daesh is running out of games is the problem. Daesh is running out of games. Okay, so it looks like this. Where we stand, City, top of the league, game in hand. That looks pretty solid to me. Uh, City haven't lost two games in five, in probably three years. So I don't think that'll happen because that's really what Arsenal need to even get back in it. They can't lose a game. Uh, and they have Chelsea tomorrow. Chelsea are terrible, but still. 
uh, Newcastle solidly in third w- with on 33 games, and New and Manchester United sitting solidly in fourth. Liverpool with that group that are fighting for Europe. Uh, you have Brighton on 52 with two games in hand, with three games in hand on Villa and Tottenham, who are both set on 54, and Liverpool on 56. Uh, Brighton, if they hadn't been jobbed in that Spurs game and then lost that weird game against Everton, might have been uh, uh, against Forest, might have had a shout. They're plus 21 sitting in eighth. What an amazing team. Um, then we go down to the relegation zone. It's really between five for the three places. So Leicester on 30, Leeds on 30, Nottingham Forest on 30. Nottingham Forest is in the relegation zone on goal difference. So those teams all have the same amount of points with Leicester having the best goal difference. That's why I don't think Leicester will go down. They're too good. They can actually score goals. Uh, Like I said, getting to nine wins, maybe even 10. (laughs) 10 wins really make you safe, but nine might be enough. Then Leeds have done damage to their goal difference. Maybe they'll just keep losing like this, and then we'll see what happens there. So those three are on 30. Everton on 29. So they can get out still uh, with a better goal difference than Forest but not better than Leeds, but I think they will overtake Leeds because Leeds keep giving up goals. And then Southampton are five adrift of Everton, six from Southampton. So they're gone probably, but the schedule looks like this for the L relegation battle. Let's see what we got here. There are mostly, most teams have five match weeks left. Um, right uh so let's look at the relegation battle west ham on 34 have city that's going to be difficult um bournemouth are not leeds play city next um leicester play fulham away everton have brighton away i don't know where brighton is at this point but we'll see then and nottingham forest have Chelsea at Stanford Bridge next week. Southampton have Fulham. The next week is Southampton versus Nottingham Forest next Monday night. That's about as big a game as Forest have played since they went up. They have to beat Nottingham Forest. I mean, they have to beat Southampton. If they can't beat Southampton, they're going down. So uh, let's do Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest have Southampton at home, must win. Then away to Chelsea, home to Arsenal, away to Forest. That away to Forest game is their final game of the season. I think six will see them up. But again, it depends on the results of the others. I love a relegation battle. (laughs) Uh, Let us look at Leeds. Leeds have City, Newcastle, West Ham, and Tottenham. Uh, Home for Newcastle, home for Spurs. Uh, I think that Spurs game is probably going to be easier than they think. Uh, City, we assume they're going to get smoked. But rumor has it that they may fire Gracia before this game starts. They're going to fire their manager with four games to go. 
seems probably like not a good idea, but seeing as they set the record for goals against in uh, the month of April might be a good idea, but we shall see. City away for Leeds is going to be very, very difficult. Very difficult. So that was Leeds, Forest. Let's look at Leicester. Leicester have Fulham away, Liverpool home, Newcastle away, West Ham home. That's not an easy group, but I think at this point, Fulham have been injured. I think that Fulham game is there for them to take. Uh, they're unbeaten in their last three, so they can feel good about that. They had been really slipping badly before they fired Rodgers. And it looks like um, Dean Smith has got the team back in action. So uh, that home game versus Liverpool will probably be a basketball up and down game. But I, I feel like Leicester have got this. Tillemans is back. Vardy's playing. Soyenchu back in the side. He was too good not to be playing. I don't know. Brendan Rodgers must have had a real problem with him because Soyenchu is good compared to what they compared to Suter, who just was a giant with a big head who couldn't fucking do anything. He stank. So that's Leicester. Leeds we did. Forest we did. Everton. Uh, for Everton, it's their home games. Can they have enough home games? They're home to City, home to Bournemouth in the last weekend of the season, away to Bournemouth. They've just got to find a way to get a win. They've been drawing a lot, so but just winless in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Winless in seven. They needed wins. These draws are not helping. They could have uh, that nil-nil against Palace really hurt them away. Uh, Newcastle, anyone can lose to Newcastle. The Spurs game, they probably had them. Uh, Chelsea, they probably could have got a point against. They just have to find a get way to get a win. They're getting more and more difficult to beat. But at this point, those draws are hurting. They need to win games. Uh, where Everton get a win between Brighton City, Wolves, and Bournemouth, they're going to be looking at Wolves and Bournemouth and say, we need six points from that one. If they get those six, they might be okay. Uh, maybe Brighton, I doubt it, but you never know. I just hope Dyche does not play Michael Keane because Michael Keane is terrible. Uh, I will give a shout to our friends in Southampton, uh, also winless since March. A uh, bunch of draws there. They did draw to Arsenal, destroyed their season. So they have Forest away, Fulham, Brighton and Liverpool. They're home to Fulham, home to Liverpool. Um, you know, these are these are not good run-ins. For them, they need to probably win all of these. Uh, if they don't beat Forrest, they're gone. If Forrest beat them, then Forrest have a shot. Okay, my three going down. Uh, I'm going to go Southampton, Leeds, and Everton. Because I want Forrest to stay. <laughs> oh, sad, sad. Okay. I'm going to say goodbye. Say goodbye to Hollywood. That was the Squeaky Bum Time podcast with the Ron Cortines. We are the football wing of this Chop Sports channel and presented exclusively by the Premier Streaming Network. We record on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple, please rate and review the show so we can reach more people and more people who love football and Erling Holland is a goddamn genius. <laughs>